Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church, and I want to welcome you to this next installment in our series entitled, Jesus, Who Is He? For the last number of weeks, we've been answering that question uh, in a, just one message at a time. Today is no different. In fact, inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline, and the title of my subject, uh, or the title of my message today answers the, the question for today, or the answer we're going to give you today is this, is that Jesus is Lord of our money. When I started this, started uh, as a pastor here at Center Point, I'll never forget there was a gentleman who was visiting the church, and he came up to me and said, now, promise me when you're at this church, you're going to talk about Jesus and not money. And I said, well, I will, except when Jesus talks about money, then we'll have to talk about that, because that's what he's talking about. And what you'll find is, is that today, from the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be looking at a number of stories that Jesus told where he talked about money and how we're to use it. There are some ushers walking up and down the aisle. If you raise your hand, they'll be glad to pass you a pen so you can fill in the blanks and take some notes. But it's important for us to get God's perspective on money. And Jesus has a very clear perspective, and sometimes it doesn't jive with ours at all. And so today, I want to have a word of prayer and ask God to open our eyes to what Jesus is saying so we can understand his perspective on money and how we're to use it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you that you are the Lord of everything. You are Lord of my life, you are Lord of this universe, and you are Lord of our money. I pray, Lord, that today you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and teach us some things we need to know. I thank you, Lord, for uh, Luke and how he recorded the teachings of Jesus faithfully so we can understand what Jesus was trying to say when he told the disciples how they should handle their money. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to learn from your word. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Um, on your outline, I'm going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. Instead of starting with point one, I want you to flip your outline over. I want to start with point two. The reason being is I have two points. One is positive and about what Jesus commands us to do. That's point one. The other one is something that Jesus condemns. And I don't want to end with a condemnation. Uh, and so I put it in that order because it followed the order in which it appeared in Luke 16, some of the teachings there. But I just found when I started at the early service this morning, I liked it better if we turned it around. So I'm going to start with point two. I'm going to tell you what Jesus condemns first and then what he commands us to do regarding money. And so point two is this. I'm going to make it our first point of the day, that Jesus condemns selfishness and greed. He condemns that. He hates that. That's not in his nature at all. If you want to talk about somebody who is the opposite of selfishness, it's Jesus. He gave everything away, even his own life. God's the one who gave his own son so that anyone who believes in him would live forever. And Jesus told a story about this that is profound. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's from Luke chapter 16. I want to read it to you. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived every day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table... The dogs would come and lick his open sores. So he was sick and bleeding and in need at the rich man's gate. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in some water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is be here being comforted, and you are in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. 
and no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, well, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers. I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent from the, of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And these are the words of Jesus. Telling a story about two men, one very rich and the other very poor and in need. You may have heard this, the story of Dives and Lazarus. Dives is a Latin translation of just the word to be wealthy or to be rich, a rich man. And so we don't know his name. The name of the wealthy man isn't important, but the name of the poor man is preserved for us. His name is Lazarus. I want you also to realize that this is the only story, the only parable that Jesus told where he named one of the characters. I mean, you can talk about a good Samaritan, but we didn't know his name. You can talk about a farmer sowing seeds, but Jesus didn't name him. This is the only story where Jesus told where he actually named one of the characters in the story, and it was a specific event, not a, not a story that could be repeated over and over again. And so many people, and I'm one of them, think this isn't just a parable at all. This is a real story about real people. And Jesus would have known their eternal destiny and what awaited them on the other side of death because he's the son of God. And so when he told this story, this is a shocking story. A story where a wealthy man ends up in torment and a poor man goes to heaven. And I want you to notice right out of the gate here that the wealthy man wasn't being punished for being wealthy. He was punished for being selfish and greedy. And unless you miss that, you go, well, was he really that way? Yeah, he was. There was a man laying at his gate with open sores, hungry, and he wouldn't even give him the scraps off his table. You go, well, John, maybe he didn't see him there. Oh, yeah, he saw him there. Well, how do you know? Well, here's how I know. The story tells us. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He not only knew that the man was at his gate, he knew his name. He knew his name. And he still didn't care. He was living in luxury while a man he knew by name was at his gate and he wouldn't even give him the scraps off of his table. No pity, no care. He was selfish. He was greedy and he thought only about himself. And that's why the punishment came. Not because he was wealthy, but because he hoarded his wealth and used it only for himself. And God hates it when we are selfish and greedy. He didn't make us to live life that way. That's something we do all on our own. I want to come back to this story in a little bit, but Jesus also told another story. It's printed right below that one. Part of it is from Luke 12. It's a parable that Jesus told about a rich fool. He was a farmer who was blessed with bumper crops one year. So many crops, he didn't know what to do, where to put all the grain. We jump in the story here in verse 15. This is from Luke 12. The farmer said to himself, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store of earthly wealth 
but not have a rich relationship with God. One of the things we need to understand from this story as well is Jesus was not condemning bumper crops. He didn't say, you fool, you had a bumper crop. That wasn't the problem. The problem was what he did with it. Listen to what he did with it again. I know I'll, build, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy and eat and drink and be merry. Me, me, me. The problem wasn't the bumper crops. The problem wasn't that he was blessed. That was a blessing. The problem was he was selfish and greedy with the blessing. Now we need to understand this because compared to the rest of the world, everybody in here has been blessed. And there's an important lesson for us here that God doesn't want us to be selfish and greedy with the things he gives us. There's another important lesson here, and that's this, and this is a life application for you. It's life application number four in your outline, but we'll use it as our first one today. You and I must use our resources wisely while we can. While we can. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul told Timothy that. We need to use our resources wisely while we can. The rich fool, he was going to die that night, and then what was going to happen to all his money? The wealthy man had lots of money. It all stayed behind. Lazarus was the one who ended up being blessed, even though he didn't have a penny. You know, there's a story told of a man who was very wealthy. He went to the doctor one day, and he received a bad diagnosis. He was terminally ill, and he would die soon. And the doctor told him to get his affairs in order because he didn't have long to live, just a few weeks. And so the man went home, and he commanded his son to go and sell a number of stocks and bonds and a bunch of real estate. One of them all converted to gold coins. And the son said, Dad, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, I'm going to put it all in a chest, and then I want, my room is on the second floor. I want you to take that chest of gold, and I want you to put it right up in the attic, right above my bed. And when I die, I want to grab it and take it with me. I want to prove them all wrong. I'm taking it with me when I die. And the son thought this was a ridiculous idea, but the dad insisted, and so he said, okay. And so he got this chest all full of gold coins and put it up in the attic just above his bed. And then the day came when his dad passed away and the doctor pronounced that he had passed. And so the mother and the son dutifully hiked up the stairs to the attic and walked over and sure enough, there was a chest of gold. And the mother turned to her son and said, I told that old fool he should have put it in the basement. But, <laughs> but you understand, you understand it wouldn't have mattered whether it was in the basement or the attic. You can't take it with you, and you can't. And this is an important concept that Jesus has that differs from ours, and that is that we are just managers. We're just managers of the stuff we have for a few years, and then we're gonna have to turn it over to somebody else. I mean, if I manage a restaurant, it's different from owning the restaurant. If I manage my stuff, it's different from owning it. I can't take it with me. If I, if I owned it, I could take it with me because it would be mine. But the very fact that it stays here proves that all I do is manage it for a few years and I need to take advantage of, this, of the opportunities while I can and not be greedy and selfish and think about how I can hoard everything for myself. Now this differs from our culture. It differs from our culture greatly because our culture doesn't plan its economic decisions around God's will. 
Our culture isn't concerned about heaven, isn't concerned about God's will, and doesn't believe that stuff really belongs to God. Our culture will tell you, you need to get all you can, and the bumper sticker on the back of the bumper of the car in front of you says it all when it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. If you can die with millions in the bank account, you win. And Jesus would say, you lose. That's not right. And we're going to have to determine whether we want to follow God's understanding of this or our culture's understanding of this. Because they're going in opposite directions here. And Jesus is very clear about this. Again, Jesus does not condemn bumper crops. Jesus does not condemn people who've been blessed with wealth. He does condemn selfishness and greed and hoarding stuff for ourselves and not responding to a clear need. The rich man knew Lazarus' name, he knew about the sores, he knew he was hungry, and he didn't care. And a compassionate heart, when it sees a need, runs to meet that need. Jesus saw our need, and he died on the cross to meet that need. And he wants us to be like him. And so if you and I are going to get God's understanding on money, that's where we got to start, that he hates selfishness and greed. He condemns it. And he tells us, hey, you need to be doing the best you can with what you have during the few short years that you manage it. This was really brought home to me this last year when my father passed away this last fall. I've watched him through retirement over the last several decades. My dad was a farmer. He bought the farm that I grew up on from my mom's dad, from my grandfather. And it had been in her family and her dad's family for generations. And there came a day when it was time for him to retire and they have a farm sale and they bring an auctioneer out and they auction off all the tractors and combines and implements and there's a dollar value put on everything you've worked your whole life. At the end of the day, all the equipment's gone, everything is, everything's left the homestead except the house and the outbuildings, outer buildings, and they hand you a check. And then he and my mom moved to a house in a small town nearby. And so most of their stuff was gone, but they still had a house full of stuff that they took with them when they retired. Fast forward another 10 years, and it becomes clear that it's time for them to move to a retirement community, and so they move to a duplex in a retirement community. And again, they have to get rid of a number of stuff, a number of things, because the duplex is smaller than their house. Fast forward, my dad is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it becomes clear he needs to go to assisted living. And they said, well, he can bring into assisted living one closet full of things. From there, it progressed to the point where he needed to be in full-time care in a nursing home, and he could bring a suitcase. When he died, they asked my mom, what suit would you like for him to be buried in? Every time they made a move, they needed less and less things. You can't take it with you. We better understand this. We're only managers here for a few years. You cannot take it with you. So what are you going to do with the stuff you have? If you listen to the culture, hoard it up, stack it up, brag about it. If you listen to Jesus... Give it away. Two different directions, same resources. Who are we going to listen to? 
So Jesus condemns selfishness and greed. And now if you flip your outline over, I can start at the top and tell you what Jesus is for. Instead, Jesus commands us to be faithful and generous. Jesus commands us to be faithful and generous with our resources. And if you could do me one more favor, cross out the word our, the O-U-R, put an X through that, and write his above that. Jesus commands us to be faithful and generous with his resources. See, Jesus really, really believed this. That God owns everything and he just loans stuff to us for a little while. Oh yeah, the deed to my house says my name on it. But it's not really my house. It's the Lord's house. It's just been entrusted to me for a while. The title to my car might have my name on it, but it's really the Lord's car. And yeah, I'm the signatory on my bank account. But that money really belongs to God. And the proof of it is when I die, it all stays here. And now it's given to somebody else. And so Jesus talked about this, and he commanded us to be faithful and generous. He had a really interesting story. This is the first the story of the rich man and Lazarus from the last half of Luke 16. This is from the first half. And Luke, remember, researched far and wide what Jesus said. And he took a whole chapter out of his gospel, Life and Times of Jesus, and recorded these stories for us. Here's the, another story he told. It's the story of a shrewd manager. There was a certain rich man. Again, this is the teaching of Jesus on money. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affair, affairs. And one day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take this bill and change it to 800 bushels. And the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it was true, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Jesus is not commanding us to be swindlers. He is simply drawing a parallel. This guy was in a situation where the end of his career was imminent and he did everything he could to prepare for the future with the resources at his disposal. His departure from his position was imminent. He did everything he could to maximize his future, to take care of his future with the resources at his disposal. What about you and me? Our death and our departure from this world is imminent. What are we doing with our resources to prepare for the next eventuality? Life application number one for us. If you and I invest our resources in his purposes, God promises to reward us in heaven. If we invest our resources in his purposes, then God promises to reward us in heaven. How do I know that? This is the next verse. I read you Luke 16, 1 through 8. This is Luke 16, 9, where Jesus is commenting on the story of this shrewd manager. And here's what Jesus said. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. 
Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. In Luke 12, Jesus said something similar. Sell your possessions and give to those in need, and this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. If you're looking for a safe investment, Jesus recommends heaven. But his investment strategy is exactly upside down from our world's investment strategy. Our world says you need to invest things in a place where you can get more and more for yourself. Jesus says, I understand that, but I'm telling you to do something different. This is the upside down logic of heaven. Jesus has a number of these things. One time when his disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest in heaven, and they were trying to see who could be prime minister and secretary of state, Jesus said, hey, don't think about it the way the world does. In the world, you have tyrants who like to lord it over others and always want to be first. If you want to be greatest in, he- in heaven, you want to be the greatest leader, you've got to be the greatest servant. It's upside down. The reason Jesus' name will be elevated above every other name in heaven is because Jesus lowered himself more than anyone else. He died on a cross for me and for you, even though he was innocent. He humbled himself more than anyone else, so he will be elevated more than anyone else. If you and I want to have a great reward in heaven, then we need to sacrifice and give things away here when the Lord shows us what to do. But it all depends on whether or not we trust God to take care of us or we trust ourselves. And that's the real issue. But if we invest in his resources, God promises to give us a great reward in heaven. Will we trust him? There's another life application and Jesus says this, if we're faithful with what we've been given, then God will entrust, given now, then God will entrust us with more. This one is not upside down from our culture. We understand this one because we live this way ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, then who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, then why should you be trusted with things of your own? I mean, this one resonates with, should resonate with all of us. When my boys were learning how to drive, they would get their learner's permit, and we would drive beside them for that year when they were 15. They gained experience. We gained a better prayer life. I mean, you understand how that works. Okay, but finally, they got their license when they were 16, and now they could drive. And so what we would do is we would set out a perimeter for each of them and say, hey, for this first month, we, don't, we want you to drive to school and a few other places. We want you to stay right here. And there were certain limits within the city where they could go. If you prove faithful, we'll expand the boundaries. When we expanded the boundaries, if they prove faithful with that, we'd expand them further. Our goal was to, every time they took a step up, we would give them more responsibility. If they were proved faithful, we'd give them more responsibility. Now look, if I as a father understand that, why wouldn't my heavenly father understand that? Why would God entrust you with more stuff if all you're doing is hoarding it for yourself now? God hates selfishness and greed. God, give me more stuff so I can have a bigger bank account. God, give me more resources so I can have a bigger house than anybody else. God, give me more resources so I can have nice stuff and eat lots of nice food and go on lots of nice vacations and brag about it how luxuriously I live. Um, no. No, I don't want my resources used for those things. Why would I entrust you with more so you could be even more greedy and selfish than you are now? So if you truly want to be in charge of God's stuff and manage more of his stuff, then why not be faithful? 
God's looking for faithfulness. And that brings us to the note in your outline. Faithfulness is easy to recognize. It is. It's easy to recognize. It's easy to recognize when my kids were faithful driving. There were no dents in the car. There's no blue lights following them home. There's no tickets to be paid. It's easy to figure that out. It's easy to figure it out for you and me, too, if we're faithful with our resources. Because over time, it'll show. It'll show. Are we just storing things for ourselves? Are we using things for God's glory? Remember, God's not against bumper crops. He is against selfishness. He's not against us having blessings. He's against us hoarding blessings. Got to get this. If we miss it, we're playing the game wrong. Jesus said there was a noble man. This is another story that Jesus told. I mean, Jesus talked about this stuff all the time because we were so wrong in our thinking. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And, then, uh, and before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Now, after he was crowned king, he returned and he called in the servants to whom he'd given the money. He wanted to find out what the profits were. The first servant reported, well, master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you'll be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor over five cities. But the ser- third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. But he didn't do anything else with it. You wicked servant, the king roared. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But Master, they said, he already has 10. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. It's easy to spot faithfulness. And again, you and I would do the same if I had $1,000 and you had $1,000 and we both went and found financial advisors and invested with them. And five years later, you came back. I asked you, we met for lunch. I said, how's your $1,000? Oh, great. I've earned, the guy earned me $10,000 more. How are you doing? I earned 10 cents. You wouldn't go, hey, well, we probably ought to take some of the money from the guy who had earned 10 more and put it over here. You'd go, tell me where your investor is. I'm moving my account. This isn't about equal distribution. It's about making the most of what you have. And here we go again. Do you and I see our lives as opportunities to make the most of the resources God has given us? Or do you and I have hidden agendas that are about ourselves? And making ourselves look good. Jesus told us over and over again, God is love. And love thinks of others more importantly than itself. Greed thinks only of itself. I got to have more. I got to have more. And that's why Jesus told us, and this is life application number three, we cannot serve both God and money. We have to choose which game we're going to play. Culture says there is no heaven. There is no accountability. You just got this life. Stack it up. Store it up. Jesus says this life is really short. You've been entrusted with stuff for a little while. 
Give away as much as you can. Don't store it up for yourself. You can't take it with you anyway. Invest it in helping others and doing the will of your heavenly father. You gotta choose which, one you're, which way you're gonna go because they're two opposite directions. No one can serve two masters for you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lest you think I'm getting that wrongly, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul clarifies this. Here's what we're talking about with the love of money. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and you could circle that, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, you could circle that, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Craving money, loving money. What do you value more? Time with God or money? What brings you security? Well, knowing that God's watching over me or knowing that my 401k is doing great. When you're really troubled and can't sleep, do you run to the computer and pull up and see how your portfolio is doing? Or do you run to the Bible and see what God would encourage you with? Which one brings you peace? If you're going after money, the stock market is what brings you peace or brings you terror. If you're serving God, his word brings you peace. Because he promises to be with you no matter what. And you you and I have to determine, which game are we playing? You cannot serve both God and money. One other scripture I'd like you to write in on the side there is Psalm 6210. Do you guys have that? Can you put it up on the screen? Okay, good. Thank you. I added this a little later if this went to print. If your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Oh, man. It's so true. I mean, even if we surrendered our wealth to God at one time, have we re-surrendered it? I surrendered all my wealth after I graduated from college to the Lord, both my folding chairs and my cooler, okay? <laughs> it wasn't a lot. Lord, I give it all to you. And the Lord's going, no, you can keep it. I don't want it. But what happens later in life? Larry Burkett, who died a number of years ago, was a Christian advisor, and he was once asked before he died, hey, what's the greatest problem you see that Christians struggle with with their money? He said, well, here's the thing. He said he talks to people all the time and they never decide how much is enough. They never decide. They live on fumes when they're first married and, and then they make a little more, but they have kids and so it costs a little more. And then they even get promotions and degrees and they make more yet. And then even after the kids move away, they're still accumulating. And so even though they're making three, four, five times the amount they made when they were first married, they still never have enough because their lifestyle just keeps increasing with every advancement they get in wages. And so there's never enough to help anybody. There's never enough that God can use them somewhere else because they've never determined how much house is enough and which car is nice enough and which vacation is enough. And if you and I will do that, prayerfully and carefully, God will show us. I mean, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Don't do it. Don't crave for money and hunger after it. It's a trap, and you'll leave it all here anyway. And if you really want rewards in heaven, surrender it to the Lord and share it, and God will bless you. What I'd like to do close this service today is um, just lead us in a time of prayer. I want to challenge you with something. 
I remember there was a breakthrough moment in my life when I prayed with someone, and for the first time in my life, I said, Lord, all my money is yours. I'm just a manager. Don't know if you've ever said that. Don't know if you've ever said it out loud or even thought it. But your cars are not really yours. If they were, you could take them with you when you die. Your money is not really yours. Your house isn't really yours. It's just loaned to you for a while. Are you making the most of it? Would God be proud of how you're using it? I mean, the old statement's true. There are no trailer hitches on hearses. You can't haul it. So what are you doing with it now? And are you willing to say, God, I'm a manager. And so God, help me manage your stuff. And I want to challenge you before I say this prayer, if you've never said that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Lord, I'm a manager of your stuff. Show me how you want me to manage your things. If there's a need, help me see it and show me how you want me to respond to it. Look, God knows we need to make house payments and we, we need to eat and we need to live. We need to provide for our family. You go to that Financial Peace University and I hope you'll sign up for it. If you've never been through anything like that, it's great. It'll teach you how to save up for a rainy day and to store up money, what you need. But a part of that course is staying away from debt and staying away from things you don't need. Staying away from things you don't need and figuring out how much is enough. And that comes when we see ourselves as managers and saying, God, this is enough. I want to follow you. If you show me what to do, I'll do it. I mean, what a terrible thing if we get to heaven and we actually knew somebody by name. Maybe it wasn't Lazarus, but it's Susie or Bill. And the Lord would say, did you know about them? Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean that guy in my office. Yeah, it looked like he could have used a helping hand. Yeah, I knew about him. But you know, Lord, I didn't know if I should get involved. Or that charity. Or that missionary. We need to pray about this stuff. Ask God to open our eyes to clearly direct us what he wants us to do and then give us the courage and trust in him so we can follow through. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you for Luke recording the teachings of Jesus. I thank you for Jesus teaching us your view on money. Lord, our money is not our own. We can tell ourselves that it is, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and all we have to do is go to a funeral and everything stays behind. If we owned it, we could take it with us but it was just on loan and that's all too clear. And people can deny it and we can deny it, but it doesn't change the facts. And so God, I just pray that Lord, you would remind us today that everything is yours. If you're willing, I'd like you to pray with me right now and say the following sentence. You don't have to say it out loud, but you could say it in your your mind. The Lord will hear you. Lord, help me be a good manager of your things. If you're willing to pray that, you may never have prayed it before, pray it now. Lord, help me be a good manager of your things. I realize that everything I have is really yours. And I only get control of it for a few short years. If there's a need you want me to meet with some of your funds or some of my resources, show me what it is. And give me the courage and the trust in you that I'll be willing to give some things away. Oh, Lord, I pray that we will really pray that prayer. I pray that we'd pray that prayer every day. Lord, what do you have in store for us this week? 
It wouldn't surprise me at all, Lord, if you brought all kinds of needs into our lives, made us aware of things we've never noticed before, and you gave us the conviction of things we need to do. I pray, Lord, that you would put the desire in our hearts to follow you and then the courage and the strength to obey. It's your money, and we only have a few short years. I want us to make the most of the things we've been entrusted with. Oh, Father, keep us far from selfishness and greed and teach us to be generous and faithful. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is the ultimate model of selflessness and generosity. I thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that he ransomed us from death. I thank you that he humbled himself and bore a burden that wasn't even his because he saw a need and he ran to fill it. Help us be like him. Help us be like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.